Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is 51 First Dates, a podcast that wants you to feel less lonely if you're dating, if you're not dating, if you're living, if you just want to hear from two old ladies like us. Thank you for being here. Liza, I feel that I need to come clean to our audience. If you are a devoted, <laughs> devoted listener, this is coming out a few hours, um, you know, late. And that is because yesterday I had such extreme rare Monday energy that in fact I did not plug my microphone in when we were recording our intro. So that's that. Um, But I'm feeling pretty good today. We're going to make it happen. (laughs) We're doing it. It's all fine. It's all happening. And it's just because it was a full moon yesterday. It was a Monday. We're not worried about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Liza, I sent you on Instagram because I was having such an off day. I was truly in bed by 7 p.m. That's being, you know, generous. Uh, It's more like 6.30 just having a day after after I got done with work and I sent you an Instagram that was something about Scorpio moon and I was like, oh, this is it. Uh, this is not an astrology-based podcast, but oh, I'm going to believe in it today because I don't know what was happening with me. I mean, whether or not you believe in astrology, I feel like there is actual evidence that full moons fuck you up. Like way more babies are born on the full moon. Like the full moon does have effects you can see on humans and- I everyone I talked to felt fucking weird yesterday, but that's not science. That's anecdotal. But it's still it's you're right. Tides, the ocean, moon, moon powers are real. All right. Water in our body. (laughs) Science. I know so much. Definitely. Look it up. Google it. Do your own research. No, I'm just kidding. I'm uh, (laughs) don't do your own research. Um, Read the research of experts. Anyway, guys, we're a dating podcast. We're thrilled you're here. Um, We have an awesome episode for you today. We talk all about baggage and um, how to reclaim it with our wonderful guest, Natalie Liu. And t- be more eloquent, say something more eloquent than me. No, we're so excited. <laughs> I couldn't Natalie- have introduced her worse. <laughs> Natalie is a wonderful author, podcaster. Um, her podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions, is excellent. So is all the work that she does around, yeah, self-esteem, creating better relationships in your life. She's so cool and was such a lovely hang, quite frankly, um, with lots of wisdom as well. And you know we are very pro, great hang, great advice. So thank you so so much to Natalie for coming on. And if you're new here and you're a fan of Natalie's and you want to, you know, hear what she has to say, but you're like, what are these girls blathering on about? We are a dating podcast that started as a, you know, pseudo project uh, in, well, uh, many years ago. I don't even know which year it was, uh, where 
I went on some dates. We've had daters go on dates. We have a dater again going on first dates. Carlin talking about them kindly, anonymously. That's our vibe. But every other week, we do an expert interview. And of course, with the pandemic, we've done a hodgepodge of things um, because pre-vaccination and even still, dating is hairy. I mean, dating is always hairy. And I don't like calling dating hairy. That's pretty gross. So we are very excited for you to hear our interview with Natalie. Before we get to that, we're going to shout out some very quick business and do our consumption corner where we tell you what we've been watching this week um, in hopes, you know, we'll all get through this pandemic without having seen every piece of content on Netflix already because <laughs> Jesus, Liza, it's it's rough out there. It is indeed rough. I'm fully running out of, of watching content. But our business first. Um, we... Uh, please subscribe to our Substack, especially if you like our consumption recommendations. Um, it's a weekly newsletter, and we write um, about all kinds of different topics. Last week, Kimmy did an amazing interview with her boyfriend about what it was like to date her. Um, you can comment. You can like engage in the uh, community by like commenting and being a part of it. And it's totally free. It comes to your inbox. And we also put out all of our consumption corner stuff there and link them when possible. So it does make it just easy to if you if we mention a podcast or something and you can't remember it. Um, so, yes, please do subscribe. It helps us out. Also, another thing that helps us out, please rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a second and it really gives us a huge boost and helps us get cool guests like Natalie. You can follow us on Instagram at 51firstdatespod. You can join our secret Facebook group, which continues to be like the best community on the internet. Uh, and you can email us if you have thoughts, feelings, opinions at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com. You can always send worst first date stories. And we love to hear from you. Yeah, Liza, I love that you were like, uh, you know, Kimmy interviews her boyfriend about what it's like to date her. It's hell because I make him you know, <laughs> respond to questions like, what would you say if, a date sent you a thank you text after the date. I basically tried to ask him a lot of questions. As a single woman, you know, dating men, I thought were, I thought I had some preconceived notions about. So I think it's fun. Hopefully it's comforting. We've gotten messages that it's comforting. I mean, he, he did me a solid, uh, very kind, very kind, very lucky woman am I but uh, he's always he's always like so down to engage with our podcast content like he's been on he's well you know as much as anybody mm, yeah <laughs> it's usually as much as it's like amazing. hey talk about your like most personal thoughts on the internet just because we do <laughs> I know well you know it, it's it's there especially if you're feeling like wow I feel I'll never found find someone that is how I felt my entire life <laughs> Sometimes I still feel that way. I feel very lucky to have him. But I, I think it's comforting to hear just another perspective. So check that out, preciousgems.substack.com. Liza, we sound like shock jocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or sound I effect, do. Sound I'm effect, sorry. sound effect, sound effect. No, let's, I definitely do. Let me ask you. Let's put a I sound like a non-eloquent shock jock. That's what I sound Because like shock jocks Same. are always really good at it. Like they can get – I was listening to a shock jock in a – uber to the airport recently i'm vaccinated and i was like god damn they're good at their jobs like it's so smooth i sound like a shock jock on his first day at work or her first day at work same same uh it's great and yet it is our almost 200th day at work ah. almost 200 eps guys we will oh plan god. something or we will forget <laughs> and yeah. just talk about it um like it. Yeah. Let's do our consumption corner. Um, do you want to go first? Sure, Liza. Okay. Well, here we go. 
Uh, this was supposed to be a sweet and cute surprise, but we did it yesterday and I'm still going to shout it out. Liza, I finally consumed the show that you edited, Doing the Most with Phoebe Robinson. It was so fun and lovely and I'm so impressed and proud of you and crushed it. You crushed it. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you watched. It's, yeah, it's a really, I mean, it's a, I think it's a really fun show. Phoebe's really funny. And if you, if you don't know Phoebe Robinson, she's a stand-up comedian who, um, was on the podcast you dope queens and she's just in an, she's an author and she does a million things and um yeah i think it's just like a really fun easy watching kind of like funny show she has funny friends on and they do activities and i think it's a good like end of the night chill out show yes I, it is i the first one is with whitney cummings they go horse riding i related so hard because i feel like i would be quite timid around those big big horses um i'm a big big baby uh in case you're new here but liza you edited that one as the lead and it was so good and it's so cool to see your name at the end and just if you're not sure where you can watch it if you have any way to log into comedy central you can definitely watch it but i found it on youtube tv not an ad. I'm just obsessed with that product Um, in the like on demand section. So even though I hadn't recorded it, I was able to go watch them and I'm excited to watch more. Yeah, Liza. Oh, thanks, buddy. And then I'll do one more comedy related piece of content consumption. Liza, it's so funny to pretend like I'm telling you for the so first we already time did this. when I told you yesterday. <laughs> uh, but to everyone else, I did my first event in person in what? ever many years this pandemic has been going on for and it was great it was an outdoor comedy show called fresh air in LA it was in the back parking lot of a barber shop oh yeah it was like that kind of vibe but I I thought it was amazing it was so nice to collectively laugh and I discovered a new comic Sherry Cola I would say check her out she was really funny her dating content in the set she did was really funny and relatable I actually would love to have her on Ooh, um, yeah let's get her on yeah, I follow, she's Sherry Cola, S-H-E-R-R-Y, Cola, like the syrup beverage, uh, syrupy beverage on Instagram. I don't know. I just, I'm a new, I, I, that's a follow recommendation. I'm newly following her and I really think she's cool. So that's mine. Love it. Love a new comedian. Um, <clears throat> okay, so what did I, I have been in a hole of watching the same content that I've recommended a million times over. But one of those is the new season of Top Chef, which they shot in the pandemic. And I feel like, like a lot of pandemic seasons of reality shows, it's very sweet. Everybody's very vulnerable and nice. And they're talking a lot about the effect that the pandemic has had on the restaurant industry and the effect that it's had on kind of their mental health. Health? Their mental health? What's like the... Different chefs have been talking about the effect it has on their individual mental health, and I don't know how to pluralize that. Wait, but pluralizing it made it sound like, you know, and like you're talking to like a professor speaking or someone just says the the right pronunciation or (laughs) proper like grammatical thing where sorry whoa whoa clearly I'm not the one doing this but when there's it's so fancy it's like the general population doesn't know what that grammar is oh my god it it sounded like that or like kind of British that's generous I feel like I sound like my two and a half year old niece who's just learning to talk and just puts together any words she wants and is like you know I don't know she's been saying space rocket instead of spaceship she'll be like a space rocket I'm like "Eh." I love Uh, that (laughs) I love that space rocket for life Yes. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, they just, it's a very, um, they're, this season's in Portland. And if you don't watch, I mean, I've talked about Top Chef a million times, but like, I'm a humongous, humongous fan of this series. I just think it's such a 
underrated, like smart show. I always learn something. They go to these different cities every season and you learn so much about the local kind of cuisine and ingredients. And I feel like I've learned a lot about America and American culture and food through this show. And it's just like so well done. And yeah, the season's just really good. There don't doesn't seem to be any like dumb drama queens, which is always a pet peeve of mine in reality TV. I'm kind of like, I just, I want to actually see you like do the thing you're skilled at. I don't really mm-hmm. need to see the fighting. See our bachelor opinions. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's a great season and I, I it's only a couple episodes in and I also, I love having live TV. I love having like, oh, it's Thursday. I'm going to watch Top Chef. It makes me feel like it's the early 2000s. Um, so that's a big one. And then I've also been listening to a couple podcasts I want to recommend. I already recommended this, but sl- I recommended Slow Burn season three, which is about the Biggie and Tupac and like East Coast, West Coast hip hop um, rivalries in the 90s. But I'm now listening to season four about David Duke, who was um, the Grand Wizard of the KKK and then became like a mainstream politician. And it's so terrifying and also so illuminating just how strategic um, white supremacists have been in infiltrating mainstream politics and how ubiquitous white supremacy has become um all over the country and also in in i mean in so many places in america but the playbook that david duke used to kind of go mainstream um it was like copy pasted into trump and a lot of uh the kind of current like crop of republican political nominees and I feel like it's very educational and this podcast is just so well done, so like sensitively done and I love it. Um, I mean, I don't love it. It's very, very hard to listen to and sad and scary, but I think it's giving me a a more thorough understanding of how um, these like very, very scary people operate Uh, and I would definitely recommend it to people. Um, And the other one is I'm listening to, and again, this is a spoiler because I already know this, but yesterday you surprised me with this because you also listened to this, Mm -hmm. a podcast called Your Own Backyard, which is a true crime podcast about the disappearance of Kristen Smart, um, who disappeared in the mid 90s. And it's been a cold case. And there's recently been some news about the case. This podcast kind of shook up the cold case. And um, there's been some some movement in the case because of it, which is really really cool they're the the person who does this podcast whose name i can't remember is really trying to get justice for this woman and her family and it's i just again again think it's really well done i love a podcaster who's like sensitive and thoughtful and empathetic and really cares it's just a good a good vibe and um yeah i would really recommend both of them yeah like true journalism unlike this podcast in your ears right now <laughs> what are you talking about we have thoroughly researched no we haven't researched I, anything i was just thinking as you said that like imagine if your podcast changed the course of a cold case i feel like we deserve an oscar when like someone says that they're now dating someone and they they credit us even though it's absolutely yes. not us it's you it's you and your life but yes. i'm always like oh my god yes we did and alas, imagine, you know. Imagine if it solved a murder. Oh, my God. You know it, unreal. Dreams. The, I mean, <laughs> no, nah. Uh, journalism, like this kind of journalism that does shit in the world is just, to me, like the highest level of superheroism. Yeah. I am. I love a journalism movie. I love a like investigative journalism movie. 
I love I know all it's, of it. It's 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 an impressive impressive um, skill, talent, all of the above. Yep. Badass. Shout out journalists. Anyway, <laughs> all the serious investigative journalists who listen to our dating podcast. Um, good consumption. We did and it. guys, just let us know. Like, we started doing consumption corner in the pandemic um, because people weren't really dating and everyone was watching content. And we've mostly had people say that they really like us doing it. But as dating starts to return to normal, let us know if you want to keep hearing consumption corner or not. Um, you know, it's helpful to hear what you guys want to hear because then we can say it into the microphones. Yes. And email us at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com. Um, that would be nice. You can also rate, subscribe, review. But like if you have constructive feedback, we might see it sooner and react more quickly. This is a lie. I'll it, basically like if you review us with constructive feedback, my feelings will be hurt. But like I understand and I'll, I'll try to correct. Um, if you email us, I'll correct it right away. Anyway, I'm proud. Thank you very much. <laughs> we all are. Day, so guys, day. Tuesday what a day. Okay. So we talked all about a lot of stuff with Natalie, um, but we wanted to just kind of expand on one thing that we sort of touch on with her. And that's the idea of people pleasing and being a people pleaser. Um, I know we've both kind of like struggled with this. I feel like a lot of people have, especially a lot of women have. Um but we wanted to just like have a, a real quick discussion about it before our interview with Natalie because we just thought it was an interesting topic that comes up in our interview. Kimmy, do you have any like particular thoughts or, or like moments that come to mind of you and people pleasing tendencies affecting dating? I mean, this is what I said yesterday, and I think it still holds true, slash haven't thought too much more on it. But I think for me, the most egregious example is how I like will lie on a first date and nod my head and pretend I've seen a movie I haven't. Just that basic form of people pleasing, totally mortifying that I did that so regularly. Um, and I think it was a signal of like symptoms to come of people pleasing, which is you know, trying to fit your puzzle piece into someone else's life, or I'm sorry, Liza, to use your brilliant example from last week's episode, trying to audition for the role in the other person's life versus being the casting director and just being yourself. And it's so simple and so embarrassing, but hopefully some of you relate to it and do it. But I think with people pleasing, the hardest part of it all is just you know, that's early stages, a little embarrassing. But later on, when you're you're in a situationship or dating, and this is where I found myself a lot, you know, trying to hold on to something and thus kind of justifying why I was people-pleasing. So looking at that fine line, knowing I was not like so happy myself, I was so anxious in this thing. I was wondering what they were actually thinking. I was asking but not getting answers and feeling kind of gross about myself on a deep level, but really wanting to make something work. So just saying, oh, well, I'm doing this because I really like them. So I'm being nice to them and things yeah. like that. And so that the other thing about people pleasing is it, people pleasing, um, <laughs> people pleasing is it feels out of character for me when I'm doing it, even in small ways. I don't notice it in the moment, but there's something deep in my gut that feels like that's not right. So, oh, it takes time. Yeah, yeah I still it's do like, it. I mean, I feel like so many people are going to identify with that. It's an extension of like the cool girl thing. Like I feel like the, we've talked about this phenomenon before where so many women want to feel like 
uh, they they can fill the role of the co- quote unquote cool girl. Yeah. And that means like not fulfilling your own needs or pretending you don't have any needs or just like everything's so chill all the time, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's a way of people pleasing. And it's a way. And I think people pleasing at its core is about like not taking care of your own needs. Yep. You know, like that's how I always experienced it in dating was that I had people, I dated people who really wanted to, I always like, it was for me, people pleasing was always about like giving more than I wanted to give. And I always dated people who wanted to be like completely intertwined in every aspect of my life. And I never felt really comfortable with that, but I would Mm -hmm. kind of let it happen. Or even if I did hold some boundaries, they would be like a quarter of what I wanted to actually keep. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was always fighting this offensive to be like, no, like just because you're my boyfriend doesn't mean we're like going to do every single thing together or you're automatically invited to every single thing. Or like that was always something that I really, really struggled with. And I could never really communicate that properly to people. And it was always like a struggle. And um, and it was, yeah, it was a way of not checking in with my own needs. And I feel like now people pleasing, quote unquote, I'm doing I'm using a lot of air quotes, useless. I do this so much more podcasting and I'm like, oh, people never know when I'm being sarcastic or whatever. Um. But I feel like now I can kind of delineate like what is just doing something for someone because I love them and what is like me people pleasing or like giving too much of myself. And it's all just about like if I'm taking care of myself and my needs. Yeah, there's a really good I'm just going to shout out this Instagram post that I meant to send you. I'll post it on our Instagram. Um from Brandon Kyle Goodman, a great follow on Instagram, all about this. And it gets more into like how it how people pleasing in toxic relationships can be, not to, you know, put that on you, Liza. But it just kind of reminded me of like we're talking about people pleasing on a high level, but it can get even deeper. Um, oh, and totally. Yeah. It, it He says, you you only get one life. Are you going to live it for you or for that toxic person committed to extinguishing the truth of who you are? Um, open this if you're struggling with or unsure if you're in a toxic relationship and then goes over his history. So I'll post that slash Brandon Kyle Goodman on Instagram. It's a recent post. But I just think everything you're saying, like, really, yeah, it's it's a slippery slope, you know, and totally. And we've also always uh, we've all seen friends of ours in relationships like this where mm-hmm. it's like, girl, you got to do less or boy, you got to do less like you're, you know, giving, 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 giving. And it's it's going to like have a toll at some point. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to figure out the line, but I think it's like, gotta, gotta put your oxygen mask on first. Mm, we said that yesterday. Mm, that yeah. I was back. like, God, am I going to repeat myself from yesterday? Yeah. Somebody slap me. Uh, <laughs> All right. But well, guys, Natalie will speak to this. In more in depth and more eloquently and with more of a British mm-hmm. accent than us. <laughs> so please um, enjoy our interview with Natalie. We're going to take a really, really quick ad break and then we will be back with that. All right. We are so excited to be joined by Natalie Lou joining us all the way from the UK. Thank you so much for being here and making time for our little podcast. 
Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat to you both. Me too. We're thrilled to have you. We're thrilled to be joining you with all of our different time zone energy. <laughs> we were just talking about that before. <laughs> we are going to talk about everything you do, all the amazing work you do. But first, as always, we like to ask, do you have a worst first date story? Oh, well, I have many. Not many jokes. I have a few. <laughs> but I think that my first worst date one has to be when a friend set me up with a guy that she said that if she wasn't married already, that like he would be the guy that she would want to marry. And he turned up and I, I did think he was behaving a little oddly when we were driving along to the date. And he like looked me up and down. He's like, oh my God, like you wore jeans. Uh, this is like 2000 and having, I guess, 2003, 2004. He's like, oh my God, you wore jeans. And I was just like, oh, he's behaving oh oddly. And it turned out he was stoned out of his tree. Um, and within, I'm not kidding you, within three minutes of, of starting the date and going along in the car, um, I note I have a thing about fingernails and he's one of these that had really, really long fingernails. Like, you know, one of these like really scraggy long ones, look like you're cutting lines of Coke or something with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I said something like oh wow like your fingernails are really long and he said and I'm not kidding you oh don't worry um I won't hurt you if we were hitting it from behind and I was like uh and oh this my was God. this was before I had I don't think I, I hadn't started baggage reclaim at this point I definitely was not a recovering people pleaser at this point so I was very much you know, as women, we have that thing like where you hear or you see something and then you know it feels and looks off. But on the outside, you're just smiling and nodding and being like, oh, yeah, trying to act like everything is fine. On the date, he told me that I had two out of the three Bs. So I had brains and boobs, but not booty. Oh, boy. And then I was like, I'd had enough. And I still hadn't realized he was stoned. And um, he dropped me back. And it was then that I realized that he had been high for the whole time. And we pulled up and he was like, can I come to your place? And I was like, uh, no. And then he's like, well, how about? And he like asked me like for a hand job in the, in the car. And I burst oh out my laughing. God. <laughs> We've both been on the same date because <laughs> that is not happening. And then he just because he was off his face, he started writhing in the pa- in the in the driver's seat on his own, and he's just like I don't even know what he was doing, but he was writhing in the seat, and I basically stepped out of it. And some university guys, like guys who were younger than me, were out in the street, and they were watching and cracking up, laughing, asking if I was okay because he was just sitting there like stroking, not like that part, but like just stroking himself, writhing in the front seat. Worst date ever. Oh wow. my god, that's insane. And you expect so much more from a friend a friend endorsed date. You know, when a friend is like I like have some for you to go on a date. Like that that just I think sets the bar higher and you expect a certain level of like safety and decency. Yeah, and he d- he actually like of course I grasped him up to my friend. I was like, "What the hell?" Told her all about it. She calls him up and he denied the entire thing and then you know that scene in, in um a pulp fiction you know when samuel l jackson gets real like and the lord well he basically was like that on the phone to me and i actually recorded him and played it back to my friend and she never spoke to him again afterwards 
But wow. yeah. Well, Whoa. yes, this date. I'm first of all, I'm sorry this happened. You know, we started this icebreaker at the beginning of this <laughs> podcast years ago when we were like fun, funny, reclaiming first dates. But so often they're genuinely scary and they often involve substances at too high a level, whether it's alcohol or weed or whatever. And then this total misread at the end of the date where one of you thinks it's going fine or maybe in his case just really wanted to, you know, hook up with you. And the yeah. other one of you is like, are you, we were, were we on the same date? This is just, yeah. it's such a common theme and it's quite heteronormative of us, but oftentimes these dates we hear about are between a man and a, a straight man and a straight woman. And then mm-hmm. this dynamic that plays out and I, yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. I'm also so glad you recorded it so that your friend was like, oh, whoa, okay. This is. Yeah, because he was trying to make me out to be some sort of mad person. And I was just like, I'm not even playing this game with you. Yeah, good yeah. for you. Yep. Truly bonkers. People are really, really like, are men okay? <laughs> it's very troubling. TBD. Yeah. Um, so then we also just like to ask, and this is like a broad question, but however you want to take it, what is your relationship to relationships? Kind of how are you raised to think about them? How has it evolved? How do you see them now? Uh it's funny because I grew I, you know, I'm four coming up to 44 so I grew up in the era of dynasty Dallas Falcon Crest fame okay Cosby show <laughs> and you know all but um I grew up on a lot of high drama so high drama in real life but also what I was seeing playing out on tv really underscored that but what's quite funny is that I've actually heard from a lot of people who were like yeah I found out about relationships from Dynasty and Dallas and Falcon Crest and uh, Malrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210 great shows and so I think that I always thought that relationships were supposed to be about drama and volatility and blowing hot and cold and all of these things and that's much how my romantic relationships were and now you know the thing I always say to people is it only takes one relationship I have one healthy relationship under my belt and I'm talking (laughs) romantically obviously but I have one healthy romantic relationship and that is my now husband who I met um, about seven eight months after I started baggage reclaim And for me, you know, I bang on about this all the time, but relationships are about mutual love, care, trust, and respect all the way where you have one, you have the others. And that's something that is, is very much a part of this relationship, but it most definitely was not a part of any of my other relationships. Oh, it's, and this is what I love about, you know, your podcast and all of your work. It sounds so simple. And, you know, when you explain it, like the one healthy relationship, the mutual respect, it all makes sense. And yet it can be, it can feel so hard to find at earlier points in your life. I think I'm in my first ever healthy relationship right now, you know, and it's, it's a journey not to quote, you know, the bachelor, but it is. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you know what, right? You know, three days before I met my now husband, I broke it off with the doctor and my mom was so pleased that I was dating a doctor. You know, the way that moms can just be so excited. I mean, she told the neighbors she was that excited about me <laughs> dating a doctor. He'd only qualified as a doctor literally about three, four weeks before. And uh, we dated for about three weeks. He was, I, he was a, a different friend was like, Oh, I think you've been a little bit hasty, like not really being interested in him. I fancied his friend and he was just very, very persistent 
Um, yeah, terrible BO. I'm just, I'm not really down for, for that Fair. at all. Fair play to anybody else who is. I am not. But he was like super opinionated, a little bit frisky with the old hands. That was like a common theme with me and dates. And my, I hit a point with him where uh, literally three days before I met my now husband, I had, I used to have a, an immune system disease called sarcoidosis. And I had done like over a year of steroid treatments and being told I had no cure and basically decided to go down the alternative route. And he basically said, in England, we call it a numpty. Uh, I don't think you use that terminology in the US, but basically he was calling me an idiot for um, seeking alternative uh, uh, therapies, looking at alternative medicine. Um, said that I was a, a numpty and that I, um, I could only rely on medicine. And I was just something like, uh, I've known this mother for like three weeks and he's now trying to tell me all about myself. Who the hell does this guy think he is? And so I basically told him all about himself and I came off that call. And I remember there's a number of times in those months where I had, I'd had to assert myself and really make my boundaries clear with various different guys that I had dated. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is wrong with me? Why do I always have to be in these situations where I have to explain this is not acceptable or I don't want to see you anymore. And I remember coming off the phone, bursting into tears, but not like, I don't know, sadness, but more like, you know, just like the, it's such an adrenaline thing when you have to stand up for yourself and you're not used to doing it. And I said, do you know what? And I absolutely meant it. I said, if I have to be single or not in a relationship until, I don't know, I'm in my 30s or 40s, I would take that any day over being in another relationship with somebody who doesn't treat me right. And I remember saying that, and I didn't know when I was saying that to myself, when I cried about him, when about a month or two before that, I like had a good crying session after I had told another ex to go and take a run and jump all the other things in the months, years beforehand. But I didn't know at that specific point that I was three days away from meeting my now husband. And, you know, of course, if we knew, we would maybe be a bit more lighthearted about dating, but we don't because we're supposed to, we're not supposed to know. That's how we figure out our stuff. Yeah, and it's always this thing of like, it feels impossible until it's not impossible anymore. It, you know, it feels impossible until it's right in front of you. And then you're like, oh, this was possible the whole time. I just didn't believe it. That's how I felt too. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm never going to have a, just a good, healthy, normal relationship where we like each other the same amount and want the same things. I was like, that's just not ever going to happen for yeah. me. It's, you know, but like, that's absurd. I, I, you know, I made that, I, I decided that at, when I was like 24 or something, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but we all tell ourselves tell ourselves these stories and then well speaking of stories why don't you can you tell us a little bit I feel like this is a good segue into um into baggage reclaim can you tell us a little bit about about this phase in your life about why you started it how you started it what your mission is yeah absolutely um well if you hadn't guessed from my worst date uh, story I used to have really woeful taste in men and relationships I, I only ever went out with emotionally unavailable men who, you know, they were very hot out the gate chasing me and it pulled back. I'm not ready for a relationship or you're too this or you're too that. They were often mommy's boys. The list goes on. I also, yeah, had actually been in a few abusive relationships. 
as well, where with the benefit of hindsight, I, you know, I can see the, the gaslighting, you know, the mind games, you know, the, the cheating, you know, stealing even, the jealousy, the possessiveness, the controlling, on and on. And the, in the summer of 2005, long story short, I had, that was when I was told that this illness that I had just taken a, a year long course of steroids for, I was told it wasn't, uh, it was incurable. And that basically, if I didn't go on steroids for life, I'd basically sort of be dead by 40 type of thing. And at the time I've been seeing another Mr. Unavailable, uh, for, and I say seeing because it was so loose for about five months. And it was like a whole lot of things all sort of came together. And I had a personal blog at the time. And I remember right, speaking out loud about what is up with me? Like, I seem to have a penchant for being with emotionally unavailable men who have mommy issues, who don't want to commit. And while I was on a, on a call to him saying, basically, we're done, I said, what makes you think I'm the kind of woman who will put up with a situation like this? Because he was basically saying, oh, do you know what I've realized? I'm not, ready, I'm not ready for a relationship. And as I asked that question of like, what makes you think I would put up with something like this? I was like, oh my God, he knows this because you have been this. Like I have been that girl. I'm cool girl from Gone Girl, except for yeah. I just didn't go down that sociopathic route. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't go and do a whole lot of crazy ass stuff like the way that Amy did, but I was cool, girl. I just became a chameleon and I, I was cool with everything. Inside, seething, crying, the whole shebang. And so when I had that epiphany that summer, like I realized like I never say no. Like I don't really, like I'm, I didn't really like myself. I realized I had commitment issues that I was emotionally unavailable. And when I was talking out loud about this stuff, I just thought it was me. I just thought it was me being my unlovable weirdo self. Cause that's how I kind of framed everything. Something about me makes an available man spontaneously combust into being emotionally unavailable. I'm scaring him away with something. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. But when you're talking about this stuff on a personal blog, and people go, uh, you're, you're talking about me. You're talking about my life. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And that sort of sparked off this thing in me where as I was talking more and more about this, I realized that I wanted to help at least one person avoid what I had been through or to help somebody get out of what I had been through. Because that epiphany, like that, that was like August 2005, like things just started to shift so quickly. And so I started baggage reclaim in September 2005, and I've helped more than two people um, along the way. And it was funny, the more I talk about, and the more I talked about all of this, the more that people get going, oh my gosh, like, please keep writing about this, keep, keep talking about it. Because I was putting a name to things that they thought were in their imagination, like the future faking and the fast forwarding and just all the game playing, but getting really down to the specifics of it, but also our side of the street in it. Cause you know, it's not just them, you know, we were coming into this with our stuff. And so it started out as that. And I went full time with it um, sort of beginning of 2008 when I was on maternity leave with my eldest. And I, that's when I, I sort of did the first version of Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl, uh, because people were just begging me all the time, like, can you put this into a book? Can you do this? Can you do that? And yeah, and then I, I rewrote it as a full book. That was 2011. And it's like sold like loads of copies like since then. 
I did the no contact rule, um, the dream and a fantasy relationship. I then did e-courses and it's, it's, it's sort of steamrolled on from there. And what's great actually is that I've had just a lot of support from, yeah, people who are in exactly my shoes. And I say people because it's men and women, like just everybody has been affected by this stuff. I mean, I, I was very much all about speaking to, speaking to women because, you know, we have a very specific set of things whether we're in same sex or heteronormative relationships, we have very specific things that we have to grapple with as women that men do not. You know, men are not affected by, by patriarchy t- to the degree that, that, that we are, but not even a fraction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then over the years, I found, I heard from so many men, so many men, but also I was hearing from, women who were in same-sex relationships, guys in same-sex relationships, because the issues just keep creeping up everywhere. And my mission is really, I speak for, I don't know when I say speak for, but I, I do give a voice to, a, to really a lot of the stuff that we grapple with when we're grappling with feelings of abandonment, speak to people pleasers, perfectionists, overthinkers, basically people who are holding themselves back in some way in and out of relationships. Yeah, it's amazing that, and that's everything that you just described about your own life experience, you know, other than that I haven't faced an illness or disease in the same way. I just related to so much, even though I've, you know, heard what you've said about it previously, and I I know our listeners are relating. And even when it comes to just overthinking, I feel like an overthinker, people-pleasing, I feel like a people-pleaser, you know, I I relate to all of them. Is there one kind of type of baggage or tendency that you see stick out the most in your work? Um, and it, there might not be, but I'm just curious. Um, I think that every single thing that humans do, it's all about trying to meet needs. And a, a core theme, no matter how somebody describes themselves, no matter what issue they say it is, and a lot of us will go, like I've heard for so many people and they go, Natalie, like this is a totally unique situation. And it's like unique to them because obviously they're in it. But I've like seen that situation like <laughs> so many times. But the core or a distinct core theme is uh, hiding our needs mm. in some way. Pretending that we have less needs than we do. Oh, I'm just so low maintenance. I'm like dra- low drama, no drama me. I'm so easygoing, go with the flow. You know, we're coming to America. I like what you like when really we are not. So there is this thing of hiding our needs because we are afraid that we're going to be rejected if we make our needs known. Like what if this person is incapable of meeting our needs and then I'm going to be like all lacking and wanting because now they can't do it. Or what if this person doesn't want to meet my needs so instead what we do is all this sort of round the houses stuff so instead of being actually who we are and being more honest and and making the meeting of our needs part of how we take care of ourselves how we live our lives we try to go down the back door route so this is where you get the people pleasing and the perfectionism and the overthinking and the overgiving and the over responsibility because we're people pleasing so that we earn the right to have our needs met. We are trying to be perfectionists because again, we're trying to please people, but also if we're in control of everything, 
then maybe we can finally have our needs met. We overgive because it's like, well, if I give you, if you give me one thing and I give you back 10, then maybe you might give me back another couple of things and eventually we'll get to you meeting my needs. And it's just on and on. So it's all about our needs. Yeah, it's again, I'm, I'm just like continuing to be mind blown because these are things that it's so hard to put words to when you're thinking about them within yourself, but thinking of mm-hmm. that, about them as a larger pattern, um, it just makes sense. And and it, I, w- I want to wave a wand and fix it all for everyone, but obviously that's not the work. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that, that, I always say to people, we don't wake up, you know, and the day, on our 18th birthday and it's like a genie at our bedside saying, hello, welcome to adulthood. Here is your manual breaking down like every event in our life. Here's how to deal with this situation. This is when you're going to meet, you know, your partner. These are the people who are going to piss you off, you know, all of that. We don't get that because... If we knew all of that, you know what us humans are like, we would not actually do what we needed to do to get there. We'd be like, well, it's going to happen in the year, blah, 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 blah. So I might as well just party on down and, you know, stuff myself with drugs and alcohol and treat people badly because I'm still going to get it then. So we have to go through all the learning and the healing and, you know, the self-actualization. But it, it's, 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 we find it hard because we're grappling with so much emotional baggage, which essentially it all comes down to, Ahead of a lot of us, we are very conditioned into being the good girl or the good guy. And we find it really difficult to deviate from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting and so common between so many people, this experience. I was really interested in on your website, you talked a little bit about trying to sort of work through your baggage with a process of compassion and self-love. So you were mm-hmm. even saying like for you rather than going to therapy or looking to self-help books, which were kind of about correcting behaviors, you really tried to um, like apply a lot of self-love to get through some of these these struggles. Can you talk a little bit about that or correct me if I put that incorrectly? That's a, that's a <laughs> I don't great want to put way. words in your mouth. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's a great way of describing it. Um, you know, look, I, I, you know, I believe in, in therapy and getting all the additional support that you can get. The end of the day, though, I've seen many a person go to therapy and do yoga and the meditation and they go into here and there and everywhere else. At the end of the day, if you leave all of those places and you come home and you say all sorts of crap stuff to yourself and you treat you like rubbish and you keep making all sorts of dodgy choices, something to be said for, okay, is there a different way that you could go about having a relationship with you? And so a a, a central question in my work is what's the baggage behind it? So it's not that the person isn't pissing you off right now. It's not that the situation isn't upsetting or annoying, but the way that we're responding. So if we're going into, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. What's coming up from our past? Who and what does this situation remind us of from the past? Where else have we felt similarly? And what I found really useful is when we bring this, this mindfulness, this mindful awareness to recognizing that one, we didn't fall out of the sky into 2021 and that we're not supposed to like know everything. And that two, we're all based on habits. Like we're, we're only what using what, temp, we're only aware of what 10% of what we're carrying around like in our head. So it makes sense that that stuff that's out of our awareness is wreaking havoc. And when we can start to notice these patterns and bring some awareness and some self-compassion to it by going, oh, 
that's what's going on there rather than, oh my gosh, I'm such a hot mess. I'm not good enough. I'm such a screw up. Things can change really so quickly and so dramatically when you have that awareness. Um, and and the, a lot of people think that think of emotional baggage as, I mean, you'd be amazed at how people call children baggage or even just having had previous relationships baggage or your parents divorce that's called baggage every human has emotional baggage we literally start accumulating it in the womb because we're just constantly filing stuff away if we're thinking we got emotional baggage so there's no reason for us to shame us for it but we can't carry everything you know we haven't been able to hold on to every last thing that we've literally owned in real life since we were born so why would we think that we can hold on to every single story criticism but it doesn't work if I asked a five-year-old to come to my house now and organize everything for me, file away paperwork, the five-year-old's not going to do a good job. So why do we think that what we filed away when we were a kid is, you know, absolutely correct for how we live our lives today? So yeah, it is that loving ourselves in those instances where we typically tend to be very hard on us, that's where we're going to go right instead of left. We zig instead of zag. Yeah, it's so again, resonates so much. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do to, to, you know, I shouldn't say fight back, but to, you know, (laughs) love yourself and navigate these very difficult um, and ingrained thought processes and feelings. I know you have a course, Break the Cycle, that you are offering. And just, yeah, can you talk a little bit about about the actual, like, next step in that process when you work with um, men, women, anyone going through some of this? I think that what's so important in moving out of old patterns that aren't serving us, because remember, patterns are what happen when we're living unconsciously. And that's all right, you know, when it comes to brushing teeth and, you know, doing, you know, your daily bits and bobs that you don't want to put a great deal of thought into. It really doesn't work that well when it comes to the heavyweight stuff that matters. Work, you know, choosing partners, you know, that your approach to what you think is, you know, good for you. And so part of it is the first thing is really starting to get an awareness of who you are and what it is that you need and want. I say to people, who are you? You know, how do you want to feel and continue feeling? What is it that matters to you? Like, where do you want to go? Because that's your values. And you know what? If we're in a cycle of, for instance, unhealthy dating situations, relationships, It is because we either have no clue what it is that we want, you know, and who we are, or we have some idea of it and we are hiding from it. We might not feel worthy of it. We, you know, we're like, well, I know what that is, but I'm afraid that if I don't do what other people want, then I'm not going to get it. So I'm going to sell myself short in the situation. The thing is, is that when you know how you want to feel and continue feeling, it's a lot easier to recognize the people, the things, the situations, you know, the, the activities that are in alignment with that. And when people start to have that awareness of actually what matters to them in terms of character, how they want to feel in their relationships, they realize that when they look at the relationships they've been in, they're never that person. Like they, and that's when they make this connection of like, oh, like I actually don't think about things in terms of who I am. I'm just in this kind of short-term mindset and living in the past type of thing. And then it's looking at, well, what, what is your pattern? Because the thing is, you can't change what you don't know. And it's very easy to call it all sorts of things, but actually when you lay it out and it's like, I do this and I do this, or I typically tend to go out with these types of people, 
you can then really start to ask the question, well, why is that? Nine out of 10 times, there's some similarity between, I would say in fact, 10 out of 10 times, there are similarities between who we go out with and significant people from our past. And that's where the blind spots and the patterns are coming from. We're often trying to right the wrongs of the past. And it's then, look when you start to look through that, the madness stops. You stop thinking, oh my God, I'm just this group. It's like, oh, I do this because of that. It's also, I really encourage people as well to get in touch with a big part of the work. And this was pivotal in my own journey is getting honest about who you're still pissed off with. Mm. Who are you still pissed off with? Who do you carry a lot of guilt around about? Because that takes up a frightening amount of space in our life. Mm. Like in anything, with anything that has a capacity for anything, the capacity is 100%. So if you imagine like we have, wherever we think that we are keeping our emotional baggage, our bad feelings, as we like to call them. We like to think that that's in a separate area. Oh, that's in the basement. That's in the attic of my mind. It's all in the same place. So Mm. the same place that you're carrying around all of this anger and this guilt is also the same place where you're going to be putting a loving relationship, where you're going to be putting the things that you're going after. So you need to actually be pay attention to where am I carrying long-standing anger and guilt? Because that stuff hogs up so much space. There's an exercise I do with people on Break the Cycle where I actually get them to calculate how much grief, uh, 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 well, it's grief as well, but anger and guilt they're carrying around. And when you imagine that the capacity is 100%, I've had some people up at four, 5,000%. And if you're at that level of anger and guilt, where is the room for a good feeling? Never mind a good relationship. And then they can make that connection of like, wow, do I even want to be carrying this around? Like, how long do we need to stay so angry about something for that it takes over our life? We don't need to. So that is the big part of it. Like for me at the start of my journey, I realized like my kinesiologist, it's like acupuncture without needles. She Mm -hmm. said to me, do you think that it's fair to blame a three-year-old? In fact, I wasn't even three, I was like two and a half. So two and a half year old for why? your parents broke up and I was like no but it clicked she says like that's what you've just literally been doing for like I was 28 at the time and I had blamed myself for why my parents broke up why my dad wasn't around all this different stuff I wouldn't blame another three-year-old it doesn't even make logical sense but that is how I'd live my life and this is the type of stuff that I get people to confront but through a, a, through a, a process that's gentle and self-caring and, and, and paced because yeah, it can be confronting to look at this stuff. But I also say to people as well, you'd be amazed. You're scared of looking at this stuff. You avoid it for like 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years you confront the stuff. And a few months, you know, weeks, months later, it's like, wow, like I can't believe I avoided confronting that stuff for all these decades. Yeah. Oh. It's that's the perfect way to put it, confronting it. And it's it does in moments in my life where I've confronted things from my past. It's just amazing how much relief you can feel pretty soon thereafter, not saying it's not challenging. Or yeah, but you, but you do it. And at the time when you're avoiding it, you're like, your eyes are closed. You're like trying to like, almost like, oh, I don't want to look, oh, yeah. I'm scared. And then it's such a big anticlimax because you just imagine that it's going to be so awful. And it, it, it's not no. at all. 
and then you you can almost be a bit annoyed of yourself that it (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yeah it's like seeing the monster in a horror movie you're like oh that's it you know you You finally see it like you build it up you build it up and then it's like this you know monster i don't know it's not great fucking thing yeah i haven't (laughs) seen a lot of horror movies i'm gonna i don't know why i went for that metaphor Sometimes they're very scary, so yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably seen three horror movies in my entire life. Cool, um, but to to flip this around a little bit, can you talk a lot about? Let's say you are someone who has gone through this process. You've done a lot of work. You've confronted your baggage. You're feeling um, like you're releasing some of these habits, mm-hmm. and then you start dating someone with a lot of baggage. Do you have feelings on how much you engage with that and when you have to step away because it's not your job, like where that line is, how mm. to how to um, navigate that? Yeah, this is uh, this is one of those ones where it's uh, it depends. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes from we have to be really aware of our intentions and motives. And I say this as somebody who's done my own fair share of fixing, healing and helping in, you know, past romantic relationships and even in other interpersonal relationships as well. I talk about uh, issues in relationships in sort of code amber and code red terms. And I do this because one of the things I noticed within the first you know, a couple of years or so starting baggage reclaim is people will really rationalize red flags because they almost have the sort of 911 emergency level of red flag. So it's like, they're not cheating or they're not beating me or they're not literally trying to kill me. So it can't actually be that bad yet. Uh, so people will find all sorts of reasons because I go, oh, but they're just so nice. So how can that be a red flag? So I break things down into code amber and code red. Code amber being just like the traffic light, stop, look, listen, get your bearings and don't proceed until you know it's safe to do so. So these are things where it, you, you kind of, you know that you're behaving maybe as your character yourself or where something is flagged for you, but you're not exactly sure what it is or you think it might be an issue, but you're not sure that's your code amber territory. Mm-hmm. Code red is that, that there's maybe dangerous behavior taking place or you are really overstepping boundaries in some big way here. And when it comes to getting involved with somebody who has, everybody has baggage, but has baggage that has the potential to interfere with the health and wealth of the relationship. What makes it a time to walk away is one, if you have a pattern of being involved with people who have the same kind of baggage each time. Mm. So whatever problem that is, if if you're always in this sort of, oh my gosh, I've just started a relationship, but this person has this big piece of baggage and they really, really need to go and get it. I'm seeing a pattern there. There's some sort of fixer, healer, helper, savior, something going on there. It's also about where, what is the issue and where is, at what point is this showing up? Because if you've known somebody like one day, and I, and I say this because I've literally heard from people, you know, somebody one day, you chatted online, you've been dating a few weeks and they're presenting you with a whole load of stuff that says, hey, wow, I really actually could do with actually not being in a relationship right now and focusing on myself. And you want to basically be like, oh, do you know what? I see so much potential here. Again, I'm seeing I'm, I'm seeing some red flags there around that. So I think that it, 
it depends on is this is whatever it is going to get in the way of forging a mutually fulfilling relationship with love care trust and respect that's your first thing the second thing is that even if they're saying all the right things is it actually the right thing right now based on what you now know that they're dealing with for you to be starting a relationship where you're going to have expectations where you're going to have needs that need to be met by the relationship because relationships in order for them to work need compatibility and for your emotional needs to be met. So if you start a relationship with somebody who basically says to you, Hey, I have this big ass thing going on and this gets in the way of blah, blah, blah. So, and then you proceed, your needs are not going to be met. And it's tricky because we in knowing our own struggles, knowing that we've had our own baggage that's come up and stuff, we feel like it's really harsh to turn around and be like, oh, I don't think that this is going to work. But I've heard from people who they, for instance, have started seeing somebody who's basically saying, I am like grappling with being in and out of AA at the moment. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out. When you have a sponsor at AA, they, they warn you about starting a relationship in that crucial time. And so you can't be trying to be like, oh, but this is like an amazing love story between us both. And maybe I can, this is where you have to step back and really notice, am I being codependent? Am I seeing more here than what's really going on? Am I actually trying to proceed with this relationship, even though it's maybe more in my interest than it is in theirs? Yeah. Oh, it's so powerful. It all comes back around full circle to those needs, but not just, I'm thinking about like needs on a deeper level, like the most vulnerable, honest version of needs. And I love, I think that's like what's incredibly powerful, powerful about your work because so many, again, so many places, articles, books tell us like, know your needs and wants in a relationship and have them met. But what does that mean? And it's really about that, what you just described. It doesn't, it's about knowing them on a deeper level so that you can protect yourself and protect others when you're, when you're dating, when you're just in other interpersonal relationships. Um, We all have needs and we actually all have the same needs, but we have them to varying degrees, depending on our personality, our character, you know, our circumstances, resources, level of abundance and so forth. And we are the, we are our primary caregiver. And we're responsible for meeting our needs, including being aware of what they are in the first place. And I think it's also—it's just so easy to get into a romantic relationship and be like, well, I fancy them and they fancy me. So bish, bash, bosh, we should work. And that is not how it goes. And the thing is, is that no matter, even if you're in actually a pretty good place, the both of you are, you're both still bringing your baggage into a relationship. The difference is, is that if you're both coming into a relationship and you're both willing to take care of yourselves and take care of each other, that's a very, very different space to you're both coming into a relationship. And one of you is like, I like the idea of doing this, but I'm also overwhelmed by my stuff that's going on. The relationship will be more about the baggage than it is about the relationship itself. And it just gets messy as hell. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and incredible uh note to end on (laughs) just yeah no no, I mean I'm being a little bit silly but mostly just like yeah this idea of of uh, we are our own caretakers and are are responsible for um 
for bringing that to our relationship. It's, it's a very empowering message. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell everyone where they can find you. I am at baggagereclaim.com and that's where you can find my podcast and the blog and my books and my classes. And the best place in terms of social media to get a hold of me is Instagram. I'm at Nat Lou. That's N-A-T-L-U-E on Instagram. And please come over and say hi. Yeah. And of course, that's going to be all linked below. As always. Sorry, Kimmy. I just yeah. fully interrupted you. you I was going to say it's a great Instagram follow. Your posts are great. Like, um, especially when you put little tidbits like quotes up or you know, messages up in the on the paint, the watercolor. Oh, I really thank like that. You. So oh. highly recommend. And we will link, as Liza said. But thank you so much for being here, especially from many time zones away. Um, we really <laughs> appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Have an amazing rest of the day because you literally have the rest of the day. That both of you do. <laughs> have an amazing evening. Um... Yeah, we're coming into that now, yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. 